0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour... You'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to The Authentic Living Show. We were scheduled to have uh, Sonia Choquette on today for the show about her book, Tuning In, but she will be back later. Uh, She had to cancel for today, but um, we are going to have her on over the next several weeks as we begin a series of shows in which we will start the countdown to heaven. The countdown is going to, the heaven is actually going to occur on December the 13th of this year. Yeah, that's right. December 13th is heaven's coming out party on earth. On that day, the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed, will be released, and the next phase of our spiritual evolution will begin. That next phase begins as we see that even the Bible informs us of our divine essence. But instead of being that divine essence, we strive for a kind of external righteousness that has nothing to do with who we really are. Until we can answer the question, who would I be without my morals, with I would be the divine being I am, We will stay stuck circling around the same dualities, the same moral-immoral issues, never evolving to that peace for which we so long. So come join us today for the Countdown to Heaven. Between now and December 13th, we will also interview some others who will contribute to this countdown with their own input, including Robert Moss. That's next week, and he's going to talk about depth work for essential change. Sonia Choquette, as I said, is going to come and talk to us about tuning in. And Bruce Lipton is going to come and talk to us about the honeymoon effect, something very similar to the notion of inhabiting heaven now. During this time, not only we will begin the celebration, but we will begin the next phase of our evolution. How can I be so bold to say such a thing? Well... It might sound arrogant, but it isn't, to say that our evolution depends upon our being able to see ourselves as the the truest truth, the absolute holiness, the absolute wholeness of our divine essence, of divine essence, because that's what we really are. It does not depend on us continuing the same old routine we've done for uh, millennium after millennium. Um, that says we have to strive to be good so that we won't be bad, so that we won't get punished. And maybe if we're good enough or do the right ritual or say the right prayer, we'll finally arrive at some kind of place that is either out of the body or in the body that is heaven-like. We have built our the structure of our world upon a concept of duality that is absolutely false. It isn't that we should do away with laws. I want to be real clear about that. Jesus even, uh, and and that's one of the things that's so clearly outlined in this book is that we can use the words in the biblical text itself to find out that that as root language, the Bible is saying the exact same thing that is said in the Bhagavad Gita, the sutras uh, uh, of the. Buddhism and several other texts, sacred texts around the world, the Gnostic texts, um, several other texts say the same exact thing, and that is that we are divine beings. But we don't look at it that way because it hasn't been translated that way, and it hasn't been translated that way because we live in the duality trance state in which we see things as Separate, where the divine is off in some glorious place where there's all joy and bliss, and we're down here on planet Earth suffering uh, for our suppers, trying very hard to strive to get something out of the divine, to squeeze that last little drop out of the divine that maybe, maybe, maybe he that's in quotes, will be good to us and give us what we want. That's, of course, from the Western motif. But there are some, some, some of those dualistic beliefs also in the Eastern traditions as well. So around the world, we have, we have built our traditions, our cultural backdrop, our um, subcultural in- interlinkings, our relationships with other people, our institutions, our laws, everything is built upon this duality trance state, which says there is good and there is bad, and Good means that you get some kind of reward, and bad means that you get some kind of punishment. And, of course, we all know that the good and the bad don't always happen like we want them to, and the punishment and the reward don't always happen like we want them to. Um, Jesus knew that because what he said was that it rains on the good and evil alike. Um, a lot of people will say that Jesus was the one who said that you shall reap what you sow, but that was not Jesus. That was Paul in the book of Galatians. And uh, that doesn't whether or not you believe that's true Uh, or not, is not the point. The point is that Jesus didn't say that. What he said was, it rains on the good and evil alike. In other words, there is no reward for just for good behavior and no punishment for bad behavior. It's not based on that. Now, that whole idea just throws us into a tailspin. What do you mean to say there's no reward for all this stuff I've been trying to do all my life? Trying to be good, trying to serve others, trying to you know, see myself and other people as good people, trying to be loving. If I've been doing all that because I'm expecting some kind of reward, then yes, I've got bad news for you. There is no reward for that um and if you and if i've been doing that for uh doing evil uh quote unquote evil um because i believe that 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 um somehow that's going to make me win or somehow that that that's uh joins me with the uh an allegiance to the other side the the devil side the satan side well there's no punishment in that either and we see that in our world we see it if we're actually looking we see that in our world and and a lot of us will say well what comes around will go around, you know, what they'll get their punishment one day. What in some other life the karma will come and, and they'll get it. And uh, and and then in, in if they don't You know, get it right in this life, they'll go to hell and we'll be up in heaven and we won't have to deal with them anymore. And, and that's our thinking. So we, we process through our world that way. So if they don't, if we can't see them getting their punishment or their reward in this life, we assume that we're going to see it in some other life or some eternal life. And either way, um, uh, either way, we are, not able to recognize that the, the the truth is there's not a place for us to um, seek out where we can provide ourselves with the reward of the punishment for our deeds. It's just not about that. It never has been about that. We're the ones that made that up, and we made it up because we were afraid. We made it up because we feared that if we didn't have some kind of standard to go by, we wouldn't. We would either kill each other, we would destroy our world, or we would, um, we would not be able to connect with the divine in any kind of way. We would not get the reward we were looking for. So we started off making doing things like sacrificing to the gods, and that was the gods or the god, whichever way you think about that, it was the same idea. We had to sacrifice, and the sacrifice was, I will give you a, a pound of flesh, some kind of beef or some kind of lamb or some kind of oxen that will satisfy the gods' uh, need for that, and then the gods will be good to me, the god of the gods will be good to me, and I will we'll have a good crop or i'll have you know a lot of uh, little baby cows or whatever i'll have what i need because i've been i've done what you asked me to do i've paid the sacrifice that same idea is sort of leaning into the idea of the tithe in the western uh, tradition where we where we tithe 10% and we give it first and we know then that god will take care of us and that is perpetuated today throughout all of our churches where where we're told that um, that if we tithe our 10%, then God will take care of us. And that's a bargain with the universe. There's an if and a then attached to it. And we make the assumption that if we don't tithe, then God will not take care of us. And so we think that way, and so we orchestrate our lives that way. And, and the same is true in terms of um, all the other bargains we make with life, with people. I'll do this if you do that for me. The universe doesn't work that way. The universe does not work in an if-then mentality. The universe is straightforward. It is all about giving. It has only to give. And there's, there's not, a, um, not a sense of reciprocity necessary. Uh, the Old Testament God even said that. I don't need your sacrifices. The, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. That's what it said. And what do I need with your puny little sacrifices? Um, And later, Jesus said that that God had earlier said that he desired mercy, not sacrifice. So this whole idea of sacrifice is not founded in any of our religions, in any of our sacred, uh, even mystical texts. It's just not there. But we keep living that way, and we even live that way in our marriages and in parenting our children and in our office management. We live in terms of, I will give up this if you'll give me that. Well, I'm going to tell you something. First of all, that's not a sacrifice. It's a trade. Okay? If there's a you'll give me on the other end of it what I give you, that's not a sacrifice. And if I give it because I just love the heck out of giving it, that's not a sacrifice either. That's a gift. So where is sacrifice? There is no such thing. There is no such thing as sacrifice, not legitimate sacrifice. And yet, the whole of a Western religion has been built on the concept that one man sacrificed his life so that the rest of us could be okay. Now, I know I just threw a a monkey wrench into the workings here, but we need to look at that. It's a bargain. It's a bargain with a universe that doesn't need bargains. And so if we can consider that, well then what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm still, you know, unsaved and I'm not going to go to heaven? No. What it means is there was never a need for sacrifice because we are already the salt of the earth. We are already the light of the world because that's what Jesus said to us. He said that to a mass of people, not to his disciples, but to us. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Okay, but you've forgotten. You've put a, a bushel over your light, and you've made your salt tasteless. You've forgotten who you were, and that is the issue. Okay, so the book "Inhabiting Heaven Now" talks about how we can begin the process of unwinding the duality trance state by um, by looking at our various bargains, by looking at the way we. We bargain with the universe through such ideas as feeling guilty, having a guilty conscience. We believe that a guilty conscience is a good thing to have and that it's going to help us to get where we need to go and that we'll be better people if a guilty conscience speaks up every now and then and tells us we've done something bad. In fact, we say that the people who are the worst people on the planet are the people who don't have a guilty conscience. Um, I don't know who's worst and best on, on the planet. I, I, I don't play that game. And certainly there are people who... Because they have sociopathy or psychopathy, they are are unable or unwilling, whatever subconscious or unconscious thing is going on there, to uh, to recognize that they have harmed someone else with some kind of empathy. But that would be the thing to have, not a guilty conscience. Empathy and compassion would be the thing to have. So if I've hurt you, then then if I can look at you as if you're me and say, Oh gosh, that must have hurt. Cause I know that would have hurt me. Then I can, then I can have compassion for you and I can make amends. And that's far better than a guilty conscience because what a guilty conscience does is make me feel bad. And then I feel like I have to, I'm obligated to go do something for you or to say, I'm sorry, even though I don't really mean it or to, to fix it in some kind of way. But really that's not real. Duty and obligation are fake. Okay, so I want to I make this really clear. If we are going to learn how to inhabit heaven on this planet, we have got to do away with duty and obligation. Now again, that doesn't mean that we do away with the laws. Um, even Jesus said, not a jot or tittle of this should be erased until we all understand who we are. So he, he knew that we, we can't just say, oh, well, let's just do away with all the laws and, and, and let everybody go willy-nilly and do whatever they want to do and do, just do all the harm they want to do. And No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is that there is a part of us, there is an an essence to who we are that already knows how to behave And it doesn't need any laws to tell it how to behave. It doesn't need the constraints of a guilty conscience. It doesn't need duty and obligation. It doesn't need for us to put it into place by striving after some kind of ideal righteousness. It doesn't need that. We already are divine beings. We already have the Buddha nature. We already have, as Bhagavad Gita says, the divine self. We already have what Jesus said ye are gods. Did your scriptures not tell you that you are gods? We already have that. We already are the salt of the earth. We already are the light of the world. And we just forgot. So in that process of understanding what the Western texts has taught us, as opposed to what it's actually saying, we begin to set ourselves free. And that's why I wrote this book. The book has to do with realizing that what we've Come to believe is not the truth. What is really true is that we already have all that we need right here inside of us that can guide us and help us to get to uh, that deeper place inside of us in which we live out our divine nature. okay so the process of understanding this is really, really important and it, it's, it, it is really hard to to wrap our heads around because we we have learned forever. That there's a bad and a good. From the time we were knee high to a tadpole, as they say in the south, we we have all been taught that this is good and that's bad, and it permeates every aspect of our lives, and from the things we eat to the lovers we've had. It, it runs the gamut throughout all of that. And so we live in this state of constantly guessing what's bad and what's good. And therefore, we interpret all of reality that way. When something happens to us, we interpret it as bad or good based upon how we think it might, what the outcome of it might be. And so... Okay, well, I think that might be bad for me. And then later, we look back and say, "Man, that was the best thing that ever happened to me." I had a situation in my own life where I had a, a boss who was—he re- was psychopathic and uh, was doing a lot of un- uh, unethical things, and. um i had to be the one to be confront him because i was next in line and uh, it was a very 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 difficult time for me but i look back on that time and i actually can literally thank that man for being doing what he did because i learned so much about myself and about life and about the divine taking care of me during that time i could not have i, I don't know that i could have learned it any other way maybe i could have but As I look back on it, it doesn't look like it. I had to stand up in ways I had never been called on to stand up before. I shook to the bottoms of my feet every time I had to confront this man. And I learned over time to confront without shaking, to tell the truth without shaking. And and it took that. It took that for me to get even where I am today. So I I thank him for being exactly as, as what I would have interpreted then, horrible as he was. All things work for the good. So we interpret life based upon that whole idea. And I just said it just then. All things work for the good. I just used the word good. It's so hard for us to not use that language. That language is in us. It's around us. It's through us. It's, it's, we're all about it. And so we, we divide things up in good, into good or bad. But the truth is, the real truth is, there is no such thing as goodness or badness. It's not that all things are good. It's not that some things are bad and some things are good. It's that there's neither one of them. We made that up. We made all of that up because because of that tree of knowledge of good and evil that we partook of, that uh, metaphorical tree of knowledge of good and evil that we partook of when we came here. And we made it up to deal with that whole idea that we were now believing ourselves to be separate from God. Separate from the divine in form. And we're going to talk some more about that when we come back. But for right now, what I want to say is inhabiting heaven now is all about not just learning how to get out of duality, but learning how to get into who we really are. We'll talk about that today, too. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio.
1: Being outside the box is your thrival guide to living outside this reality. Are you always waiting for your ship to come in? Do problems happen to you? What if you created your life rather than sitting by waiting? Do you live in the fantasies of this reality? Winning the lottery, waiting for your prince, princess to come, even being healthy? Do you always do what is expected of you rather than choosing for you? What if the rules didn't apply and what if you could thrive from a different space? Join host Lynn Walder for tools to being outside the box. Listen Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here, Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the Seventh Wave Network.
0: The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness.
2: And we're back talking today about this countdown to heaven. What does it mean to be living in heaven? What does it mean to, to experience heaven right here on planet Earth? So we'll talk us uh, more about that in just a moment. Right now I want to tell you about all the American Institute of Holistic Theology who sponsors this show. So you may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC approved continuing education, and a brand new PhD program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following. Holistic theology, offering as terminal degrees both a THD and a PhD. Holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths. Utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, and then, if they wish, to take healing, help, and wisdom to others. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. And all you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So, as we were saying, the the idea of heaven is a kind of distant idea for most of us, particularly in the Western culture. Why did I use the Bible uh, in this book? Well, I use the Bible in Inhabiting nev- Heaven Now because it is the one book that is so often used to continue the duality trans state. It is so often used to help us not to see who we really are. I don't know whether the Bible was written by a divine hand or not, but uh, it definitely was, uh, does have some things in it that are so powerfully uh, essential to our understanding that we are divine beings that we've just missed. We've just completely overlooked them. For example, in all of the history of my time as a, a good Baptist girl, I never once heard a sermon on the statement that Jesus made that we are God's. Not once, not ever, um, and you know, only within the past maybe five, ten years have many of the denominations of the Western tradition begun to uh, to allow such things in as meditation and um, breathing exercises and um, healing techniques like Reiki and things like that 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 offer wholeness and help to people. Um, so there is a beginning process to this uh, allowing. Uh, a, a kind of blending of East and West in our approach to the divine. But we still hold fast to that idea, idea that, that there is a duality, and the duality consists of a polarity between good and evil. And good is on one far side where God represents the holi- holiest of holies in that goodness, and bad uh, on its most evil nature is on the other polarized side uh, in which Satan Reigns, and that is the way it's looked at in the Western tradition. Of course, that tradition—that tradition of having a sort of evil, evil contrary superpower—is also in other traditions as well. But not all of them. There are religions that do not have an evil superpower uh, who is enemy to the divine. But uh, those that do have that idea that. This battle is going on on a supernatural level, and of course, therefore, it's also going on in the natural, human level as we live in form. Um, but if we if we look at what uh, the ancient Hebrew texts say and the ancient Greek texts say, and we look at the root language, we see something very, very different from what we've been taught. Uh, in fact, so different that it offers peace just in the rendering. Uh, for example, there's a statement that, uh, that God said in, in um, Genesis that God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When we look at that one statement, that one statement is the statement upon which a lot of the duality trans is based. So, so if God said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they did it anyway, then they disobeyed. If God didn't say, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil then they didn't disobey. And when we read the actual root language that is in that statement, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which doesn't say it just like I'm saying it, but uh, if we read that from the root language perspective, what we get are so many possible meanings that that statement cannot possibly be understood as don't eat of that tree. What it more likely says from the root language perspective is, if you eat of that tree, these are the consequences. So, there was not a don't and a disobeying. If that, if that, if that rendition is true, then there is, there's not a don't and there's not a disobeying. And that changes everything. It changes everything from that one statement. Upon which we've based everything else we know from the Western perspective. The Western perspective is the one that, ha- that has been passed down to us from generation to generation to generation, has slowly, even over the past 20 years or so, begun-, begun to get a little more open, and yet there are many, as we know, fundamentalists who want to keep the old version, the old um, um, traditional understanding without any flexibility in, in our understanding of that. And And... What we understand fundamentalism to be, whether it's in the Western religions or traditions or in the Eastern religions or traditions, is a fear of modernism. It is a fear of change. It has to do with let's hold on to what we think we know is true. But that's one of the things that's talked about in Inhabiting Heaven Now is the idea of knowing, uh, the idea that we actually can know something is a very uh, principled idea that's based in uh, uh, some kind of need for security, that if I can know something, then I'm okay. If I can know how things really are, then I'm okay. But it was Blaise Pascal who said, it's not certain that everything is uncertain. And I love the comical twist to that because it is so amazingly true that we are we don't have anything that we can really absolutely know. So when I'm telling you what I think about this text, you get to choose whether or not you buy it. And of course you already know that, but I'm telling you that I know it too. So uh when we talk about what we can know, basically what when we when we're saying I know this to be sure, this is a fact, these are the way, this is the way it's going to be and you have to agree with me. And this is the only way it can be. We're saying Please help me, I'm so afraid, and I don't know what else to do except believe this. That's what fundamentalism is based on. And the angrier it gets, the more deadly it gets, the more afraid the person who's being angry and deadly is. So, the idea of fundamentalism, we're just going to put that aside, okay? And we're going to talk, talk about uh, the idea of heaven right now. You see, we've been taught that heaven, in the Western tradition, heaven is a place far away. Uh, in some other world where we go after we die, and we only get to go there if we've said the right prayer, the right ritual, or done the right amount of good deeds. And there, everybody else who hasn't done those things is going to go to hell. Well, first of all, this concept is one of a very failed God. It is a, a, a fail. I'm using the word God here because that's the word that's used in the traditional Western tradition. Um, my word of choice for that. Is the divine, but I'm using the word God specifically because I'm talking about the Western tradition right now. And I, I want to say really clearly here that I'm not saying uh, that the Western tradition is a bad thing. I am saying that we need to evolve, and it's not just the Western tradition that needs to evolve, it's all of our traditions that need to evolve to beyond the duality trans state. And it's, it's a kind of fine line to walk because we can't really say, well, well, let's just do away with all the laws and just tell everybody to do whatever they want. And, and, you know, if you murder somebody, that's okay. You know, it's fine. Go murder another one tomorrow if you want. That's not, that's not going to work. Like I said earlier, even Jesus said, even as he was saying in the same sermon in which he said, I want you to be complete. complete I want you to finish your journey. I want you to be um, divine. And uh, the book explains what I mean by that text. Um, In that same sermon in which he's telling us to be who we are as divine beings, he is also telling us that we cannot get rid of the law until everybody understands that. So I want to be real clear about that. On the other hand, unless we can see ourselves as divine beings, we won't be able to get rid of the law. Um, It is when we can be in... In our divine essence, that we don't need the law to guide us. We don't need duty and obligation to guide us. It is our internal guidance. Um, And that is what I'm trying to get to. So, who would I be without my morals? I would be the divine being I am. That's the answer. Um, Byron Katie asks, who would you be without your story? This book asks, who would you be without your morals? And so in order to understand that, we have to change our concept, particularly the Western version of the heaven and hell, but also the Eastern version of heaven and sometimes an Eastern version of hell. So what our concepts from that come from this duality trance in which we've divided everything. Everything has a division. There's nothing that isn't a duality. People talk about the dark and the light, the happiness and the the sadness, the the suffering and the the kindness, the the healing and the wounded. We've got things all lined up on two polarities. Everything is polarized. And yet, every one of those things is one thing. If we can look at the depth understanding of our sacred texts and of our own experience with the divine – in terms of all of the people all over the world who've had the same experience regardless of what, what religion they came from, who have experienced a, a divine ecstasy, a divine trance, a divine healing, something like that. And they all have the same experience of utter peace and absolute knowing that everything is okay and knowing that from within them they are who they need to be. And that that understanding is limited. Usually it's very temporal. Um we have it, we get it, and then we lose it. and then we have to come back into the quote unquote real world <laughs> where where everything is still based in duality. But the truth of those experiences can't be denied, although we deny them all the time that that they they resonate with us at a very deep level when we when we've had those experiences some of sometimes they change us forever. People who've had a near death experience experience that whole idea of life change. Some of them come back and they're depressed for a period of time and then they go, you know what? I need to use this information and they get up and they start using it and then they begin to, to reevaluate their lives based on that information and become much happier, much more peaceful, much more alive people as they live here on planet earth. Of course, they're still awaiting that ultimate you know, death experience many times where they're, you know, I've only experienced this after death. So we come back to earth and there's still pain and there's still suffering. There's still a body and there's still the density and the heaviness of this body and all of that. But, but, uh, that doesn't take away from the reality of the truth of that experience. So what they learned can, is still useful. And the same is true of a spiritual experience of any kind. If we got, a depth experience with the divine, we've been changed at some level by that experience. And what what has changed is not who we are, but who we think we are. What has changed is not who we are, but our consciousness has been changed so that we become aware of a deeper level of ourselves. And we can put that in all kinds of languages and we can call it all kinds of things, but it's the same thing. So when we talk about heaven... What we're talking about is that deep inner essence of who we are. It is the same thing as divine self. Heaven and divine self are seen in this book and proven in this book through the root language in the Bible and other uh, texts around the world, other sacred texts around the world, that uh, they are the same thing. They're synonymous terms. So when it comes to heaven, heaven is shown in this book to be a process, not a place but a process, and it's a process of evolution in which both the uh, both the things inside of us which we consider to be needful of growth and the things that inside of us that we think are already grown enough, both of those things are growing in the same field, and the things that create uh, impulsiveness and stupidity and uh, harm to other people and harm to ourselves, those things are growing in the same field of heaven that is the process of our own evolution. So heaven turns out, once we learn the root language, to be a process of evolution. And hell turns out to be that same process of evolution. If everything is one, then all things are one. Um, and so uh, hell turns out to be a place, a, a process in which we are transformed into the depth of who we actually are, will there be suffering in that transformation if we live on planet Earth, you betcha <laughs> if if we're living here on planet Earth, where we believe in duality, yes, there's going to be suffering with it but as our as we are change our beliefs to oneness from duality, the suffering uh, is not seen as suffering so much anymore but as s- something that is happening that is making us get another transition so when we when we view the world from the divine self or from heaven within then what we see is uh... the world as it actually is in the light that it actually has so that every human being is a soul and every encounter with another soul is a soulful encounter and every event in our lives whether it's an automobile accident or somebody gave us a raise is a part of that soulful interchange where we're transitioning, where we're transforming. Now, we can look at that transformation as heaven. We can look at that transformation as hell. But either way, it's the transformation. And that's what's going on. So when when we look at the root language of our Western texts that everybody tells us mean one thing, what we find is they actually mean something entirely different. And in looking at it. We begin to see more about who we actually are, and we begin to trust more about who we actually are, and we begin to live a little bit more into who we actually are, and that process brings us to to our home in heaven within us right here and right now. Eckhart Tolle talks about it, although he doesn't use the term heaven so much. Um, lots of our, our wonderful authors talk about a place of peace within us. Um, many of the people who teach us how to meditate will teach us how to go inside of ourselves to find that place within us that is peaceful. And we typically think of it as a place. But but that's only because we are placed in our consciousness outside of it. We see ourselves as outside of that internal place where we are peaceful. But we actually aren't outside of it. We're in it. And it is in us. And we can live from it or choose not to live from it. And we can live from it sometimes and choose not to live from it other times. We are absolutely free to do this whichever way we choose. And in, in our choosing, what turns out to be true is that it, the soul has some kind of say-so over that. We talk about uh, predestiny and heaven and hell and those kinds of things in terms of, 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 of a destiny. But actually, our soul is in a constant process of choosing. It is the central organizing feature of our lives. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more.
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you looking to advance spiritually? Listen each week for Spiritual Enlightenment. Advancing One's Wisdom. Your host, Medium Maureen Allen, will cover an array of spiritual topics aimed to help you advance your soul's desired growth. Each week, areas of spirituality will be discussed and explored ranging from strange, paranormal experiences to heaven, spirit guides, and angels. To learn more about the other dimensions and how to better assist your path of evolution, Tune into Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom, every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us don't understand love. Why are relationships so difficult? What makes people fall in love? How can we make love last? Tune into The Truth About Love with host Shelley Bullard. We'll talk about what works in relationships and what doesn't. Shelley believes that our most profound growth comes from evolving through issues that arise in relationships, leading to a deeper sense of fulfillment in love. Find joy and meaning in your love life. The Truth About Love airs live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you looking for better sex? Learn how to have the best sex of your life when you join Ellen Etoff and her program, Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. You'll explore every aspect of love, sex, and intimacy, and discover new realms of possibility, including the spiritual dimensions of sex. It's an adults-only world with guest experts sharing valuable tips and techniques and so much more cultivate the powerful energies of sexuality and an undefended heart listen and join in live every wednesday at 4 p.m pacific 7 p.m eastern on the voice america seventh wave channel the voice america seventh wave channel be extraordinary be the change
2: And we're back with our countdown to heaven, which, as we said, will occur on December the 13th of this year when heaven is having its own coming out party right here on planet Earth with the release of the book Inhabiting Heaven Now, the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed. Why do we need to talk about having heaven, inhabiting heaven now? Because it's time. It's time for us to make the next transition in our spiritual evolution from which we begin to stop seeing ourselves as separate from the divine and begin to see ourselves as divine beings. In fact, from the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, what we learn is we are the beings who created ourselves anew in form. We are, we are the same beings as the divine was. So in that process, there were many gods. Uh, if you look at the, it, the terminology used in Genesis the metaphors that are used there, there were many gods that created heaven and earth, and we are those gods. We are, that, we are those gods now in form, and we have evolved to our understanding of ourselves far away from that because we had to answer a question. When we came here, there was one question that had to be answered. If I, as God, create myself anew as form, will I separate, will I separate from myself? Will I split off in some kind of way? And so we have to answer that question in order for us to move to the next evolutionary phase of our development in which we we see the truth and change the universe, therefore. So we, we came here as divine beings who, uh, as Elohim, as people who were divine beings in form, and then we said, okay, well, let's answer this question about... Now that I'm formed, does that mean I'm split off from formlessness? Now you would say to yourself, well, if I was really God, I would know the answer to that question already. I wouldn't have to have this experience. But when you look at the word knowledge in terms of the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, the word knowledge means learning by experience. So we have to have this experience. We have to uh, experience it in a way that transforms the consciousness of form into it, its full awareness of divine intention. So when, when we came here, we asked the question, and we said, okay, well, let's experience that. Let's have the full, complete experience of ourselves as form separate from the divine so that we can see what that's actually like, so that we can feel it, walk it, smell it, uh, breathe it, everything. And then when we get to the end of it, we're going to know fully as form that we are divine beings. So form is changing its consciousness so that it becomes aware of itself as divine. And that's what we're here to do. And once form becomes aware of itself as divine, the entire universe will shift. There will be a shift for the entire universe. That will be the completion of planet Earth. We have not yet completed the creation of planet Earth. Those people who say that it was a a once-upon-a-time thing that happened in seven days... No, that's not what the root language of of the metaphorical poetry that is Genesis says. It says, we all are participants in an ever-growing, ever-evolving process of creation. And that same process is heaven. And that same process is hell. And so, we're, we're, as we go, we're processing, we're transforming into fuller and fuller awareness of who we are. And each lifetime we live here, we come to experience a different aspect and to bring that aspect into divine awareness. It might be minuscule. It might be so tiny we can't even remember it in the next life, but something has shifted. Each life is totally successful in doing what it came here to do. There is no way to have a failed life, even if you come here as uh, somebody who, who everybody else would call bad. I love the story of the two Buddhist monks watching someone come into the bardos after they've uh, passed and transitioned into death. And they uh, are, one of the monks says to the other one, Oh, that guy, he's got lots of lives yet to live. And the other monk says, Oh, no, no, that's, this is his last life. And he went, The other monk goes, What are you talking about? The man was a drunk. He lived his whole life as a drunk. What do you mean? What do you mean? He can't possibly have, you know, this can't possibly be his last life. And the other monk says, yeah, well, he came here to experience humility and this is how he did it. So this was his last life. That was the only thing left for him to experience. Love that story because it so clearly says, we don't know. We don't know. Our souls know. And they are the central, the soul of our being is the central organizing feature of our lives. So whatever we're, we're living in, the soul has something for us in it. Whatever we are living in, the soul has something for us in it. So, in terms of this whole thing, what we're talking about is what we really believe. And that's what Oprah Winfrey's talking about in the upcoming Super Soul Sunday for October the 20th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. She sits down with best-selling author Danny Shapiro to discuss one of life's biggest questions, What Do You Believe?, The question was at the heart of Shapiro's recent spiritual quest. When her young son asked questions like, What happens when we die? She realized she didn't know what she truly believed. So Shapiro became a spiritual detective, delving deep inside her past to find the answers for her son. Now she shares with Oprah how her childhood, growing up as the daughter of a Jewish Orthodox father and an atheist mother, shaped her spiritual life. Plus, she explains how her life changed in an instant. When her father was killed and her mother badly injured in a car accident, she says from that moment on, a journey of self-discovery began, which was still a work in progress well into her 40s. On the show coming up this Sunday, Shapiro tells Oprah how she finally learned to live in the moment and not take life for granted. Now, after years of self-discovery, she finally has the answers for her son. So we're about to listen to a clip that has a segment of the interview in it, so stay tuned for that. So this journey
0: for you really started when your son, Jacob, who's now 14, but was a younger boy and started asking you, what do you believe? Yes. Yeah. I know many parents um, who were raised in either Orthodox uh, traditional religion or not question how they're going to now relay that to their children, how, how. Do I, what do I want my son or daughter to believe? Yes. Yeah, and no, you were those, in that space.
2: Those questions set off an avalanche of feelings and thoughts, um, and because I knew that my my rote answer, my initial rote answer, which was the smorgasbord answer, it yes. was, well, some people believe that there's a heaven, uh-huh. some people believe that we come back, some people believe... Um, you know, in the spirit world. I mean, I just gave him a kind of smorgasbord. And I knew that I was failing him. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was failing myself, too, because I was giving, you know, giving a six, seven year old kid. They don't want a smorgasbord. They want to know what their mom believes. And there it is. That question of what we believe is what we're talking about today. So through my own spiritual journey and through my research into the sacred texts of the Sufis and the Buddhists and the, the, the writings of the Bhagavad Gita and uh, the Bible and the metaphors of poetry throughout old sacred t- traditions and the Gnostic texts, the uh, writings in the Nagamati uh, findings, all of those things have led me to my beliefs today. And you're going to have to take your own journey to find out what you believe. But what I'm offering you today is a new concept as a new concept of heaven, of hell, of life here on planet Earth, and what we're really doing. So, inhabiting heaven now is all about how we can live in heaven right here on planet Earth. We don't have to wait till we die to get there because the soul is the central organizing feature of our lives. We're all evolving into A newer and newer and newer awareness of who we are, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, because the soul is organizing all of that so that we can see things differently, maybe just a hair differently in this life than we saw it last life. But we got that hair. And, and whatever is happening in this life will absolutely be successful because it will give us what it came to give us. We will get what we came to get, no matter how it looks to the duality trance state, where like the monk was saying, yeah, that guy was a drunk. There's just no way he couldn't be headed for lots of other lives. he would got a lot to learn. We look at it from that perspective because we live in the duality trance state. But the soul says, no, wait, no, no, he got humility. That's what he came to get in this life, and he got it, so he's done. So when we're looking at our lives from the duality perspective, we're not looking at it from the soul perspective. And the soul perspective says There is not one lifetime that fails regardless of what it looks like to us. Now, we could look at that and say, well, what about the serial killer? Now, come on, really? This is not a failed life? This is not a waste of energy. This is a life that harmed people. What about Hitler? Well, I talk about that. There's a whole chapter on that in the book called Evil. The chapter's called Evil. And there's a study in that where we talk about what that whole concept of evil really means and what we're really talking about. So we don't have enough time to go into the research behind that now. But what I will say to you is it ain't what it's cracked up to be. (laughs) What we think is evil, is our judgment of that, that doesn't mean that those that people haven't suffered, that people haven't suffered at the hand of someone else. That doesn't mean that people aren't uh, actually choosing to do things that harm other people, seem to harm other people. Uh, but it does mean that when we call it evil, we can just give it a name and be done with it. We don't have to think about it anymore. We can, we can, oh, well, that was evil, and that's all we want to know about it. And we don't have to go any deeper than that. And yet, if we see, if we can look at uh, evil, quote-unquote evil, as a way of identifying, then we see it quite differently. So I can identify with evil just like I can identify with good. I can say I'm a good person just like I can say I'm a bad person. Why? Because the concept of good and evil are out there to identify with. If we didn't have the concept of good and evil to identify with, we wouldn't identify with either one of them. But we do because we're eat up, as we say in the South, with duality. Okay, so There's a lot more that could be said about that, and I want you to get the book and read it because there's so much more here, so much more that I can't possibly put into a radio show. Uh, and this is just the beginning of the series. Like I said, we're going to have several other people here. Um, Richard Moss is coming. Uh, Sonia Choquette is coming. Bruce Lipton is coming. They're talking about their own uh, Uh, view of these things, but I selected them particularly at this time because what they say fits neatly into what we're trying to get across here about this whole concept of inhabiting heaven now. So um, when we're talking about the central organizing feature, that is the soul, what we're saying is, like I said a little while ago... When something quote unquote "bad" happens in our lives, or when something quote-unquote "good" happens in our lives, when we judge it to be bad or good, based upon our, how we think it's going to impact us and our lives and our families' lives, and etc., cetera, etc, cetera, what we're doing is thinking at it, thinking at it yes what. that's what we're doing. We are thinking at it from the, from the perspective of duality. So it's either bad or good. But from the soul perspective, that's just another thing that's happening that is getting us to that transformation of our consciousness so that we can begin to see ourselves in a new light, which is the light of heaven, which is the light that we are actually in. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And that's what we are. That is who we are. Uh, we are not sinners We are not evil people. We are not uh, people striving ever to be good so that we won't be evil. We are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We've just forgotten. And remembering is not an easy process. And so we can't just say, well, I think I'm going to remember that now. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. The process the soul puts us through as our life experiences happen to us is the process of our coming to awareness of who we are. And if we can relax into that, Boom, we got it. So that's what we got for today. Next week, we're going to be talking to Richard Moss about the deep work necessary for essential change. All is a part of that countdown to heaven. That essential change is your transformative process. So you want to be here for that. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.